great day. What a great day our God has given us. It is just outstanding to see you. It's already been an amazing weekend. God is moving across our campuses. It is so cool. So we want to welcome you, whether you're at Blount County or North Knoxville, whether at UT downtown, on the internet, Palisipi, it is great to have you with us this weekend. God is up to something. And uh, we started a new series last weekend called You Asked For It, and half the message I prepared then the second half are questions that you're texting in. And so once the, the first message is over, all of our campuses go live and they text in questions and the pastors are answering them. And I've got some great emails this week about the panels, the campus pastors. But you know what I've heard more about? I've heard more about the ladies that have been on the stage. And so the, the biblical knowledge and the depth, let me tell you, ladies, that faith promise, thou art loose, chick. Come on, get in there, get serving God. Now, you are not a second-class citizen, so it is just stellar all that God is doing. We're excited to see you this, this weekend because it's been a tough week this week in America. That sweet little eight-year-old boy was in Boston to watch his father cross the finish line at the Boston Marathon, and he never went home that day. Other people were killed. Other people were maimed. It was a horrible, tragic event. Why? Why did it happen? Why do bad things happen? At that very event, at that very spot, one of our ladies, many of you know Tim Stallings, he was on our staff for about 10 years. His daughter Shelby was right there at the bombing, pregnant. Her and her uh, husband are in seminary, getting ready, getting prepared for ministry. And she left just a few minutes, took a picture, texted it, it went on, you know, on her Facebook. And a few minutes later, the explosion and her family just panicked. We thank God he protected Shelby, but why do bad things happen? What, what, what's going on? What, what is the deal? So in this series, if you're, if you're a first time guest with us, we are answering questions and as we answer questions, one of the things that, that we, one of our values at Faith Promise is this, God gets the last word. Let me tell you what God gets the last word. God gets the last word means we still believe the Bible at Faith Promise Church. Is that right, church? We still believe. Come on, I, 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 that didn't convince me. Come on. Now, I need some help because I got the ugliest bunch of email I have ever gotten this week on last weekend's message. Thankful I'm not in a popularity contest because I made a bunch of people mad this last weekend dealing with a sex issue and things that they thought were wrong and should be right. Listen, it doesn't matter what you want, doesn't matter what you like, doesn't matter what the culture says, doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. The Bible says what's right or wrong. God established morality and it doesn't matter what we think about it in reality because God gets the last word, amen? And so we've got to get that and understand that. And in that context of why, why do, why do bad things happen? You can go all the way back to the book of Genesis where God speaks to Abraham through a, through a, a couple angels say, hey, we're on our way to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to destroy it. Well, Abraham said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't do that, please. Come on. Say, so listen, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there are 50 righteous people? No, we wouldn't do it. What about 45? No, what about 40? No, 35, 30, 25, 20. What, what about 15 people? No, wouldn't destroy it. What about 10? And they said, no, we won't destroy it. 
And Abraham really thought that he had interceded and stopped the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. What Abraham didn't realize is there was not 10 righteous people in, that, in, in those two great cities because they had turned against God. They had turned to their own way, much like we're doing in America. And so, but, but we've always asked the question, why? We can go to the, the old prophet, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah's lamenting before the Lord his plight in his preaching and prophetic ministry because it's not going well. Church is not growing. They throw him in jail. They threw him in a well. They beat him. They put him in prison. They starve him. He is called the weeping prophet. And pick up in verse 7 of chapter 20, oh Lord, you have deceived me. You tricked me, God. I didn't sign up for this. And I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I've become a laughing stock all day long and everybody mocks me. You ever felt that way? Everybody's just laughing at me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because God had said, I'm about to destroy Israel. Because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. I'm doing what you said, Lord, and everybody hates me and they want to drive me out. They want to kill me, God. What's up with that? I didn't sign up for this. But if I say I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in and I cannot endure it. For I've heard the whispering of many, terror on every side. Denounce him. Yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends watching for my fall say, perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. That was his friends. We want to get him. And so... Jeremiah is just lamenting before, God, I don't understand why is all this happening? Why is this bad stuff going on? I didn't sign up for this. Then if you turn to the next chapter, which is Lamentations, yes, there is a book in the Bible called Lamentations. It is a lament. Listen, Jeremiah desperately needed a Xanax. He was hyper discouraged and he was hyper depressed. So he writes a book because things were so bad. And he says in, in, in verse 12, is it nothing to all you who pass this way? Look and see if there's any pain like my pain. Nobody's hurting like me. God, this is not fair. Why am I in such agony? Which was severely dealt out to me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anguish. So I don't get it. I don't get it. The psalmist cries out. Two thirds of the Psalms are laments themselves. In Psalms 22, verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry to you, uh, but you do not answer by night and I have no rest. God, what is the deal? Have you ever just said, God, I don't, I don't get it. What's the deal? Why is all this stuff happening? Why? Where are you in the midst of that? It was asked all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and God showed up and held him to account, said, Adam, man, what's the deal? I told you not to eat of that, that tree. What does Adam do? He blames God. He said, God, this woman that you sent me, this is your fault. If you wouldn't have brought her, this wouldn't have happened. And she said, it's not my fault, it's the snake's fault. And the snake just laughed because he got all that he wanted. See, even all the way back to the very first horrible act, we blame God. We start the blame game. It's your fault. Why, why God? Why, why are there disasters? Why was the Boston you know, bombing? Why were the, tra- you know, the trade center? Why were the Twin Towers destroyed? Why is there tsunamis? Why are there hurricanes? Why do little children, why do they go hungry? Why are people raped? Why are people abandoned? Why did my wife leave? Why did my husband leave? I was in Jacksonville at a conference this last week and heard the story of three young girls from Moldova. 
In Moldova, if you're an orphan, you, you go to a state-sponsored, horrible, horrible orphanage. And at 16, they kick you out. And so in Moldova, it is a huge area for sex trafficking because a sex trafficker can get one of these 16-year-old girls who has no place to go. He can take her, he owns her, and he can make about $300,000 um, off one girl. They make more money than drugs. They're less likely to get caught. And so sex trafficking is one of the world, world's worst global things that's facing. Why did those three girls, why, why did that happen? These three girls went to a ministry they were, they were rescued. They're now believers and their, their voices, you know, uh, for the ministry that they represent, taking and giving those girls. Or let's get it even closer to home. Why did my plans fail? Why did my business fail? Why did my marriage fail? Why can't I have kids? God, there's 55 million abortions in America already. People have, get pregnant that don't want it. I just want one. People abuse their kids. They lead their kids. They, they abandon their kids. God, I will, I'll be a godly parent. How come we can't have kids, God? This is, I don't understand. Now listen, the asking the question why is, is not necessarily the problem. Are you with me? This is what the problem is because we always stick before the why a question. This is what we ask. If God is good, then why? If God is good, then what's the deal? And so let me tell you, when you begin your query, your question contrary to Christ, when you begin your question in, 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 in reverse to God's revelation, then you'll end up just about anywhere. Does that make sense? We call it philosophy. Because you start with no basics, you end up anywhere. And it's easier to blame God. Well, God's not good, and it's easier to put blame on God. If God's not good, then why this? If God's not good, then why that? I don't understand what's going on in my life. And so we've been asking that. We've been battling with that forever. Would y'all agree with that? And so that's the deal. But this is what the Bible clearly says. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Say it with me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is, he's what? Hey, you've already memorized a verse this weekend, man. Give your, man, you can pat yourself on the back. Guy comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher. He said, oh, look, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and he's our heavenly father. Now, so let me, I'm going to answer you biblically. Just basically, I'm going to give you two reasons why bad things happen. These are biblical. It's revelation. This is just the bottom line. You can philosophize. You can do all kinds of things. This is the baseline of why bad things happen. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, I love what T.D. Jake says. Are you ready to rumble, rumble, rumble? Ready to rumble? Let's get in the word. Why do bad things happen? Number one, when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter three, they unleashed hell on us. When, when Adam and Eve, that's what they did. They unleashed hell. They unleashed hell in two ways. Are you ready? Number one, they unleashed hell because they gave the devil dominion on the planet. When God created Adam and says, not good for Adam to be alone, he created Eve. And then now they're in the garden. God said, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. You have been given the stewardship of caring for the planet. Man, you, you, are, you are to have dominion over the planet. But when they fell to the satanic scheme and ate the fruit and they committed the sin, they lost dominion. And in that, now the devil has dominion. Are you with me? Matter of fact, the Bible says that the, that the devil is the little G-O-D of this world. In the book of Ephesians, it says that the devil is the prince and the power 
of the air. He is a roaring lion, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. Over and over and over, they unleashed hell and they gave the devil dominion, which means that we live in a war zone. We live in a zone where it, it, here where the devil is inflicting all the pain and punishment that he can inflict. That's the first way. The second way is this, and as Adam and Eve sinned, we got their DNA, right? The Bible says, as one man sinned, so all have sinned. As one man said, sin to the human race. That's so, that is why we do bad things. Why? Because we have a sinful nature. But I mean, what, why, why do people do bad things? Because they were born sinners. We got Adam and Eve's sorry DNA. Are you with me? Are you ever fussed at your parents because of a body part or something you don't like that looks just like theirs? Have you ever done that? I've, you know, uh, I'm not going to go on. This is bad, so don't even, don't even stop there. So what we do, we, we, get the, we get the DNA from Adam and Eve. We get this, we get this you know, that we've all sinned and come show the glory of God. And so that DNA comes to us. So we rape, we rob, we pillage each other, and then we blame God for the bad that we do. We take credit for everything on the planet that's good, right? Every invention, every good thing we take credit for, and every bad thing we blame God for. And we say, well, if God was really good, then Why? You know, if God was good, why didn't he stop the bombers? Listen, if, you know, if, why didn't God stop you the last time you hurt someone? Why didn't God, when you were gossiping, cutting somebody's legs out from under with your tongue, or when you were backstabbing someone, or when you were hurting someone, why didn't God just grab you up by the scruff of that and smack you, whop, 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 say, stop that stupid and throw you back down? <laughs> because, see, God told us what was right, told us what was wrong, and God gives us the ability to make choices, doesn't he? He doesn't make those choices for us. He holds us accountable for our choices, but he says, hey, this is the wise thing. This is not so wise. And, and, and so we have this freedom. Now, the bottom line is this. We live in a cursed, fallen world. We live in a world that's cursed because of the sin that Adam and Eve did. And guess what? Sin has consequences, doesn't it? Does that make sense? Sin has consequences. Hey, forgiveness is granted. If you jump out the window and say, I'm so sorry, you're forgiven, but you are still going to splat like an egg on the sidewalk when you hit the bottom because you're going to have the consequences of doing something really, really stupid. Are you with me? Right, we, a bunch of middle schoolers. We had any middle schoolers back there? Man, come on. I, I need to hear y'all back there. Y'all not back there. That's four. Middle schoolers in the house. All right, come on. There we go. They've been on a discipleship retreat this weekend. And so let me, mom and dad, let me tell you, this is what we do. Are you ready? See consequences. Little Johnny, little Sally Sue, they do something stupid and we make sure they don't receive any consequences. Your kids get in trouble, so you go to school and you fuss the principal and the teacher and you make sure your kids don't get any consequences. Are you with me? And, and if you keep taking the consequences away, your kid will keep doing stupid stuff but the consequences make us quit being stupid. Does that make sense? And so if you, don't, if you don't let your kids experience the consequences of their actions, they're going to get older and really, really, really do something stupid. Does that make sense? Are you with that? So consequences. We live in a world full of consequences. We have cancer. We have death. We have disease. We have war. We have famine. We have fighting and pestilence. People hate each other and all this kind of stuff. Why? It's a consequence of what Adam and Eve did and what we all still do. But we got to blame somebody. Look at what Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter three. Again, because Jeremiah's trying to, trying to help people to not do stupid stuff and they've turned their back on God and God is bringing the heat down because of what they've done. In verse 17, it says this, my soul has been rejected from peace. I've forgotten happiness. You ever felt that way? I don't even remember what it was like to be happy anymore. 
So I say, my strength has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction, my wondering, the wormwood and the bitterness, God, I'm going through. Doing this for you, God, would you remember me? Surely my soul remembers and it's bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. I want you to listen to this. I want you, if you don't get anything else this weekend, I want you to get this. Or if you're ready, say I'm ready. Beware of deciding your doctrine in the midst of despair. Beware of determining your doctrine in the midst of despair. Beware of deciding what you think about God when all hell is broken loose. Beware how you view God, making your view of God when your wife walks out or you lose your job or the doctor says cancer or there's not enough money or you lose your house or recession knocks your legs out from under you or something horrible happens or the winds and the waves of the storm, they just pile up on you and you say, well, if God was good, because in the midst of that, we don't, we don't set our theology in the midst of despair. Does that make sense? You remember the, the Emmaus Road? Jesus has been crucified. He's in the grave. And the two disciples are walking to Emmaus. They're on the Emmaus Road. And Jesus shows up. I love this part. Jesus just pops in there. And they don't even recognize him. And Jesus said, hey, guys, what are y'all talking about? And they said, dude, what do you mean what are we talking about? Man, do you not know what, are you the only idiot in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? I said, no, tell me. He said, we had hoped that Jesus was the one. We hoped that he was the one, but they killed him in their despair. They rejected the word because what did Jesus say? They're going to kill me. And in three days later, I'm what? I'm what? I'm coming back. And so they determined that. I said, man, listen, we had thought he was the one. He was right there. He was right there. Have your kids ever done something stupid and you try not to laugh? They did something wrong, said something. I mean, it was so funny you try not to laugh. Can you imagine Jesus? What happened? They killed him. Really? And <laughs> <laughs> what? Killed him. Idiota. I mean, <laughs> listen, he's right there in the midst, but they've determined their, their doctrine. They've gotten their view of God through their despair, through their, their agony. Man, he's right there. How does God soften a hard heart? Listen, I'm going to tell you how. I was in Jacksonville again in a conference this weekend. They scapped Rick Warren in. And listen, first let me tell you, if you've heard stuff about Rick Warren, listen to me. It's all hooey. I mean, haters and liars should not be allowed on the internet. Are you with me? Man, the church has never had the problem it has a face like it does with social media. Listen, so I, when people get on the internet and say bad things about me, and they do all the time, again, this last week I got more hate mail than I've gotten in forever. So I thought I was doing good because the Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you. I got that verse down. And so, <laughs> so I'm listening, one of the, and, and, and he talked about how painful it was that everybody that hates him are talking about how his son died. And so, and, and he said this, let me tell you what God does to soften a hard heart. God sends a storm. God sends a storm. And, and Greg was interviewing Rick and we scapped him in because it was the first time that he spoke in public since his son died. And he said, Rick, what's God teaching you through the death of your son? He said, oh, let me tell you what God's teaching me. 
He said, me and my wife can't determine there's nothing now the devil could ever do to us. Therefore, we have no fear anymore. And hell has no idea what he had unleashed in our lives and what we're going to do for God. He said, when Jesus died on the cross, the devil rejoiced. He had no clue. He was about to have his head lopped off in the resurrection. Man, we are winners. We're winners. Don't, don't determine your view of God when all hell's breaking loose. Come on. Man, the disciples are rowing and Jesus is asleep and the storms and the water's coming in and they're freaking out. We're going to die. We're going to die. And, they, and they, they can't bail the water fast enough and they wake Jesus up. What was Jesus doing? Asleep. He wasn't freaking out. Oh, my holy name. <laughs> Dear me, what will I do? Are you with me? No. He said, why did y'all wake me up? Man, I was having some Z's over here in the house. He got up and said, wind, stop it. Waves, lay down. And the disciples said, dear him, who's in the boat with us? See, that's how we're to react in storms. We don't question whether God's good. Is God good? Come on out, man. Is God good? Is God good? Man, our God is good. Come on, our God is good. Holy God, Father, as we answer questions, Lord, would you help us as the church, as believers, those of us who are born again, would you help us, God, to look to you for the answers, not to the culture, not Hollywood. Good night, God. They are so screwed up. The world is screwed up. Washington doesn't give us the answers. Hollywood won't give us the answers. But you, mighty God, have already made up the end of the story. And you alone and you alone rule. And so we bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, give him some praise up in his house. First time guest and you're freaking out. What just happened? I mean, he was preaching. He's on a couch. Who are those people? We, this is not our normal format, but in this series of four weeks, do a 15 minute message. And then we do about 15 minutes of Q and A. You have, can text your questions up to the number behind me by faith. I believe behind me, there is a number and you can text your questions. And we're going to take the next 15 minutes and answer them. Jason Stubbs is, is pastor over our worship pastors and, and, uh, Unbelievable man of God. Gina is our children's pastor here at the Pellissippi campus. And these guys are awesome. And everybody knows the first lady of Faith Promise, my wonderful wife, Michelle. And so uh, that wasn't for y'all. That was for me. I'm still working on last, last weekend's service, message. Last service, I was the queen. So I've, I, yeah. I don't know if I've been promoted or. Yeah, I'm going to whatever it takes, baby doll, whatever it takes. And uh, come on, my mother didn't raise, it. The, the fools that she might have raised don't live in Knoxville. And uh, and so we're going to answer some questions and then we're going to come back and, and have a time of prayer and, and just get it again. Our God is good. Michelle? All right. Fresh, hot off the press. Why does God create people like Hitler or Coney if he already knows what they are going to do to us? Yeah, Jason, why does God do that? <laughs> I mean, come on, bro, man. <laughs> like I said, every service, I feel like I'm on Miss America and I need to say... Can you repeat the question? <laughs> no. Why does God create people like Hitler? Well, I believe when God, when God 
looked down and created, he said it was good. And the fall of man, I believe, with all my heart, was when things went bad. You know, Michelle sent us a link. The question in all this is, why does good things happen to bad people? Because we're all saved by grace, number one. Number two, I really believe that, that someone like a Hitler, that the, the issue is not that God created Hitler. The issue is Hitler chose to do things against his divine calling given to him from birth. Because God said, before, I, before you were born, I knew you. He set it up. But we make a choice to walk away from the things that God calls us to do. That's good. I like that. Michelle? Is everything bad that happens part of God's plan? If not, how do we know when it is? Gina? <laughs> That's a great question. See, I get to pick them because yes, I'm the pastor do. and I take the easy ones. Them. Yeah. That's right. Um, I think it's a great question. Does everything bad happen? Can you so, rephrase that, that one more time? I'm sorry. Okay. Is everything bad that happens part of God's plan? Part of God's plan. If not, how do you know when it is? Mm. I think that um, one thing we can guarantee, part of God's plan is that we would choose to place our trust in him regardless of the circumstances. And, and so um, uh, in that, I mean, just as Pastor discussed the, the moment in Scripture where Christ is, is asleep in the boat and the storm is raging around him, and yet Christ in that moment, uh, Christ was not raging, Christ was not nervous, Christ was not... Uh, uh, concerned even in the midst of the storm and and he asks us to yoke ourselves with him he wants us to uh, to abide in him in such a way so that we're in the midst of the storm um, we have the same peaceful uh, experience and so and, and we place our trust in him so how do we know when a situation a bad situation is is from him or part of his will I think that in every situation whether good or bad his will is that we would lock eyes with him and we would choose to raise our arms before him and say, you are good. Yeah, it, it, Romans 8, 20, it says, all things work together for good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. He doesn't cause all things to happen, but we're also told in all things to give thanks to him. So really the question is not, did God make this happen or is this a negative situation? The deal is, am I gonna love God and worship God and, and praise him in the midst? Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And so we are not gonna know why a situation happened. It could be somebody's choice. It could be, it could be a series of events. The question is not why or how, or did the devil do this or did God do this? The question is in the midst of my mess, will I worship and will I live a life that honors God? Every day in my journal, I say, God, today I wanna honor you, love you, serve you, worship you, and bless you and put a smile on your face and make you proud. Now, some days gonna be good and some days gonna be bad. It's worshiping and serving God to the best of your ability, regardless of what the day may bring forth. Okay, this is, this is a sticky one, Pastor. For you, I'll, I'll go ahead and help <laughs> preemptive strike there, because I knew the one, two, and the next one was coming to me. Anyway. You're exactly uh, right. Yeah. Pastor. Yes. Um, <laughs> Queen. Why does God take young people? Uh, let me, sorry, let me start over. Does God take young people does God take people when they're young because their purpose on earth is over? Um, world peace? Yeah, world peace. Yeah, that's what they say in, in, the, in the Miss America pageant. Uh, we, we just don't know that. The scripture says that we, we see through a mirror dimly. 
But in the end, we shall know as we have been known. And so we don't know why that, that, that whether it, whatever happens in the circumstances, someone leaves this planet early. We, we don't know. We, we just don't know the answer to that. We, we fall back on God's sovereignty. I, I, honestly, the bulk of the questions that people ask me as I walk around and try to love on this church on a weekend service, I look and say, I don't know. That's a great question because we just don't know everything. But we know whether God chooses to let someone live a full life like Mr. Dan Owsley, who serves back. He's the guy who's always dressed as something when you get here. Went to last Monday, went home to be with the Lord. Hacking up Club LeConte, had a heart attack. He served God for decades. And so we don't know why that, that little eight-year-old boy in Boston died or why God let Dan Owsley live to be way up in his 70s. Uh, but we just know we love God in the midst of it. And in light of that, one of the questions that came in, Gina, is how do you explain that to children or your kids when things like that? Right. Because um, I saw a lot of kids yeah. weeping Friday night at Mr. Dan's funeral. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what a beautiful um, thing that was for them to be able to experience. Oh, yeah. Uh, that moment. You know, the, the thing about with kids is kids need a context for the death and the permanency of death. And so... Uh, as a parent, you can gauge whether or not uh, your child is, is is at a point where they can uh, where they can understand that. A lot of times, as we were unpacking um, with with Mr. Dan's situation, uh, we were sharing that with our kids, and um, the the thing that would so sorry. Don't turn the microphone off when you're talking. Just file that away for the next time you're here on stage. So the thing that's most important in that moment is just to be honest. Because kids understand good and bad. They, they have lived long enough to experience good and bad. So being honest is really your best um, uh, option at that time. Just to explain, listen, you know, Mr. Dan, we love Mr. Dan. We love him very much. But Mr. Dan is no longer here. And the reason is because just like you, Mr. Dan is a spirit who lives eternally. He just lives in a, lived in a body that is no longer um, uh, functioning. And so Mr. Dan's spirit still now uh, exists and it continues, but it's now in heaven with his heavenly father. And that was his home. Mm -hmm. And so in many ways, you know, we can celebrate that Mr. Dan's home now. And kids can, can understand that. It usually takes multiple conversations and it comes up randomly on the way to the grocery store while they're in the back seat, but uh, they will process it over time. Michelle? Please comment on why we should consider it joy when tribulation comes as taught in the book of James. Because tribulation is going is to produce endurance and it's going to increase our faith. If there is all sunshine and no rain, you have a desert. There's no place where there's no rain, it's only sunshine, that it's not desert. And guess what grows in a desert? Not much. And so God wants us to grow spiritually. And the only way that we grow is, is most of us is through going through difficulty. You know, frankly, it, 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 God ends up having to allow things to happen to us to have us to grow. One of the things, and I'm, I'm serious as a heart attack about this, in my prayer life, I pursue God with everything that I am. And the reason I pursue, one of the reasons is that I don't want God to have to put me through tribulation. Are you with me? So I want, I'm saying, hey God, I'm right here. Here, my Bible's open. I've got my journal. Spirit of God, speak to me. I don't want you to have to use tribulation, but we're to rejoice when it happens because obviously God is working within us. 
You know, if you take a, a chick that's trying to get it out of an egg, and if you go ahead and peel the egg away, and that chick doesn't have to work to get out of that egg, it will probably die. Because that working to get out of that egg, it strengthens its muscles. And so we rejoice in tribulation uh, because they work in us endurance, they work in us faith. You know, an untested faith is an unfounded faith. How do you know your faith works unless you're put through a tribulation where you know that, hey, if I'm in there, I know what I'll do because this is what happened last time I faced tribulation. Jeremy, uh, Jason? Let me piggyback on what you said. Scripture, perfect scripture, if you want to write it down, Romans 3 to 5. It says, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulation, knowing that the tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And the hope does not disappoint, because we love God, because he has poured out in our hearts the Holy Spirit who has given to us. So I really believe exactly what you said. It, it, it builds us not only in our faith, but our character mm-hmm. and perseverance. Yeah, God used it, you know, Michelle and I were, our first 15 year, about first 15 years of marriage, we were poor, we were going through college and seminary, and we learned, we learned when, when we didn't have groceries, and when they would cut the water or the power off, we learned back when Faith, Mike, and Zach were little bitty, that God was going to provide, and now when we do a $10 million build, let me tell you what I know God's going to provide. What I know is we add other campuses, God's gonna keep saving because when we didn't have anything, when we had nothing to trust, we found that God was enough. That God was enough. And we learned that not through the good times, we learned that through the difficult times. Had I not had the difficult times, the hate mail that I got this week, I couldn't have rejoiced in. Because I, re- I don't, by the way, I don't answer hate mail. I, if you're mad at me, you send me an email. Send all your ugly emails to Josh Whitehead at faithpromise.org. Because I just don't respond to them. I, I mean, I, there's no, you're not going to argue somebody, so I don't do it. But man, tribulation helps us. Michelle? Okay, our teenage daughter has turned her back on God. How can we help her turn back to him? Won't you take that there, Queenie? Um, well, speaking as, as, as a parent of, of three kids, I know that, particularly as a mother, you know, that's the one thing we tend to worry about. That's something we talked about last service. One of the questions is um, how do you, you know, pray for and, and still trust and rest in God and just pray for protection and those kind of things. But um, when it comes to our kids, it's like prayers go to a whole nother level, don't they? And um, I know when, you know, there, there was even times in my life when I was a teenager that I was not living for God and um, did all stupid, stepped into stupid too many times to count. But I had a praying mom and a, and a, and a godly dad that loved me. And when they knew about it, there were consequences to pay. But even when they didn't know about it, they loved me. They prayed the word over me. And, you know, God used godly parents and their prayers and their example and the word that they taught me to, 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 you know, just pour into my life. And in the spirit of God drew me back to himself and put my feet back on the right path. And so I believe as a parent, train up a child in the way you should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. And I, and I just hold on to that promise for me as a parent. And, um, I know in my life in particular, for my personal testimony, that it was because of my parents praying for me and, and the bringing me up in the word that it, 
you know, the word just didn't depart from who I was and God's spirit just drew me back. So as, as a parent, and if, that, if that's you, um, I just want to encourage you in that, in that, in that way. If you, if you can believe God in the other things that you see God do, do in your child's life, you can believe God that he'll, he'll bring them back to himself, just like the prodigal. Yeah, he did. And then, so let me, let me encourage you. Don't browbeat them. Don't preach at them. You're not, all you're going to do is drive a, a bigger wedge. Love them. Kill them with love. Cover them with love. And, and before your kids get there, listen, if they're preschoolers, you, you, parents have the final spiritual authority and they're the ones. But, man, get them connected in our preschool ministry. If they're, if they're children, take them to upstairs, our children's ministry or whatever campus you're at. You say, but my kids don't want to go. Well, your kids don't want to go to school either. But you make them, don't you? Then when they hit youth, get your kids involved in youth ministry early. You see back there in the back, I don't know how many middle schoolers, they spent all weekend in discipleship stuff. There's a camp coming up this summer. Man, get your kids at those things. You say, I don't want my kids to go, but we can't afford it. Listen, we'll, we'll pay for your kid to go to camp if you can't afford it. Are, do, you, do you hear that? You have no excuse. Get them plugged in early. You know, because when they hit 16, 17, 18, that's typically where they can, it's the easiest time for them to fall away. Get it, we, we, we just partner with you. We do all kinds of things in the family ministry at Faith Promise to help get to the point where kids don't do that. Absolutely. absolutely. Any extra word on that, Gina? I, I think the, the, I love what you stated because I think it's absolutely true. Love them um, despite their, their actions because your goal is to retain a relationship uh, with that child because you want to continue to have influence in their life. And, uh, and you can't influence, have influence if you don't have a relationship. So love them despite their decisions. Um, and just remind them, especially in the moments where they're looking at you going, I don't know what's going on. Remind them God has something greater. They were, they were created for something greater. And so there's something inside of them that wants that and is yearning for that. And, and for you to continue to dangle that, you know, I understand and I love you you know God has something greater. And just leave it there. And trust me, they will return to that because they want to know what that greater is because everything they're trying to do right now isn't greater. And they're learning that. And they're going to come back to you at one point. They're going to say, okay, what is greater? And then you've got your opportunity. So just don't lose the relationship. I think they're right on target. Yeah, one of the things that we try to do is we try to make our, ho our, our home headquarters and so we, when the kids got to be teenagers, we had pool table, we had ping pong table, we had stuff, you know, we lived on the lake, man, we had, you know, our kid, our house was kid central and they were, we got to watch who our kids hung out with. And trust me, there were plenty of kids. We said, listen, don't, you, you got to be careful of that kid. You know, well, why? Just trust me. I'm your dad. I love you. Or your mom. We love you. We, we watched who they hung out with, parents. Are you with me out there? Y'all hearing? I, can't, I, I, I know you're out there. Here you breathing. Are y'all with me? And so it is critical that we, that we watch, that, that you form, that you help walk, build the barriers to help your child walk and learn to love God. Uh, let me, one more thing, because we're about out of question time. Jason Stubbs uh, has been with us five years and Jason's just done an unbelievable job. Jason's a man of God, integrity off the chart. And uh, one, of the, one of the difficulties when you have great staff members, great pastors, leaders like we do, is that other churches come and steal them. They will burn in hell for that. But Jason, 
Uh, just want you to know, because Jason's up on the platform, we see Jason's led worship here. He's one of my favorite worship leaders, and I tell him that all the time. He knows I mean that. But, but uh, Jason is going to be, he and Lindsay are going to be moving to Chattanooga, and uh, they're going to go to a church there. It's multi-site, and uh, Jason's going to be going as the executive pastor. They are building a dream center in Highland Park right down the street from where I grew up. And we're just, we're stoked about Jason. We love Jason. He's done a great job here. You guys, you guys give him a hand, man. We love him and Lindsay and excited about. And he'll be, he'll be back. He'll be around. He'll do things. Well, I'll, I'll be down. Some of our staff will help him do things because we are, we, you know, we, Michelle and I have a heart for Chattanooga. It's where we grew up and, and we love Jason and Lindsay and, and uh, they're unbelievable. That last question, sweetheart. So now you had to know how to pray for the worship ministry. And uh, on that note, my wife did bad things earlier in her life, and she feels like God can never forgive her. What should I tell her? You should tell her. It's a great question. By the way, did the panel do great? Didn't they do awesome? Come on. Let me tell you the one value that we want to get in this, in this series is God gets the last word. I want you to look, if you look, say I am. Your feelings do not determine truth. The word of God determines truth. And so I feel like I can't be forgiven as a lie from hell. All of God's anger, all of God's wrath for everything that you would or will ever do fell on Jesus at the cross. And when you're born again and you get under the blood, you are fully and freely forgiven, adopted, you are sealed, you are marked, you are filled, and you are son or daughter of the most high God, and God doesn't walk out on his kids. And so you are forgiven. I don't care. Listen, I don't care how you feel. When you feel like, hey, man, I feel like God didn't forgive me, you just say, hey, that's not what the Bible says. All my sins are thrown as far as the east is from the west. God throws behind his back, and he remembers them no more. Do we believe the Bible? Does God get the last word? Then I'm telling you, if you've been born again, you are fully, freely forgiven. Walk in liberty, walk in victory, walk in power, walk in grace, walk in mercy, because we serve a God that is what? Our God is good. Somebody say it with me. Our God is good. Our God is good. I can't hear you. Our God is good in Jesus' name. Man, we serve a great God. Now, band's coming back out. We're going to do one more song. Pastors are coming down front, men and women. And if you're going through hell right now, all hell's broken loose. And when you know that God is good, but you just need prayer right now. We're just going to take, just going to take some time. And we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to sing another song. And so if that's you, just come down and have someone pray for you. Now, are we a family? Are we a family? Then we pray for each other. Holy God, move in this moment that you would touch wounds and heal hearts and give, give your favor in the midst of difficult circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. By the way, as the band comes out, you may want to take right now to fear communication card out. I need to talk to somebody about salvation or baptism or next steps. You can fill those cards out during this song. Let's stand and let's worship our God.